Hello, hello. You are listening to Dynamo Discussions. This week is brought to you by a big announcement. Is that a company name? Is, is that a cool hip startup? No, it's an actual announcement. We have something to tell you, but we can't quite tell you just yet. But we want you to stay tuned. So why don't you follow us on social media at This Is Dynamo. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook to find out. It's coming soon, so check it out. Okay, so this week we have Alan Davis, one of our MDs, talking to us. He gives very thoughtful insights into helping teams grow, working as a mentor, and working as an investor. So you definitely want to tune in for the rest of this episode. And in case you don't already know, we are now on iTunes. So if you're listening to us on SoundCloud and you like it there, sure, do it. Do what you got to do. But if you want to subscribe on iTunes, now you can. All right, enjoy the episode. I'm Caitlin Wittenberg. And I'm Santosh Sankar. And we are here today with Alan Davis. He is the co-founder of Access America Transports, of Lamppost Group, and now the MD at Dynamo. Hello, Alan. Hey. <laughs> hey. Um, well, thanks for talking with us. Uh, we definitely want to hear all your insights um, about what you've kind of learned as you've worked as, um, as a venture capitalist. Let's start off there. So how did your experience at Access America Transport kind of shape how you approach venture capitalism? Well, um, it's very different being uh, an operator and an entrepreneur than being an investor. Um, it's something I definitely learned. Uh, as an operator of Access, I was uh, a control freak. Uh, I wanted to make sure I knew what everybody was doing at all times, and I wanted to count everything, and I wanted to... Um, basically be in charge. And that's not how it works when you're a VC. Uh, and I learned that over the last few years. Um, you have to give way and allow entrepreneurs to make their own mistakes and learn on their own because you can't tell them what they're doing wrong. And it can be very frustrating at times, but it's, it's a lot like raising children. Um, <laughs> you want the best for them, but they have to touch the, the eye of the stove to, to fully understand. And uh, it's frustrating, but entrepreneurs are frustrating. <laughs> but uh, it's worth it because um, you get to kind of relive your glory days like vicariously through them. So it's cool. So you take a very hands-off approach. Um, uh, you, you have to. Yeah. Like um, if you want what's best for the entrepreneur, um, I mean, I'm sure there's some VCs that exert their authority and cram things down and oust founders and do all that kind of stuff. But like... You know, I I guess I care more about the founders than I do about the company, and that's probably a, a strength and a weakness for me. Real quick, um, since you ta- you touched on being like an operator at Access America, what would your advice be to those who are in that role rather than the venture capital role? Just real quick, maybe what was your big takeaway from that? Like, uh, my big takeaway is that you're on a journey that's amazing, and you probably are going to take it for granted, and you're striving and striving and striving to get somewhere, whether it's, you know, an IPO or whatever you're trying to get to. Um, and you think that's what you want, but what you really want is to go back and start over and be with your friends and be a startup and have the future in front of you. Would you say that uh, a lot of founders don't, um, Value and enjoy the journey and the process then they're all about the outcome. I would say it's, Outcomes are easier to focus on because you can count it and 
make it a target. Uh, I think it applies to life as, as well. I think very few of us um, uh, live a lifestyle of enjoying the moment um, and enjoying the journey. But it, you know, it's it's a it's an old cliche, but it's it's as true as it comes. Like it's life's about the journey, not the destination. Sure. The same applies to startups. I I see you. You know, a lot of times you provide counsel to founders here. Um, what you know? H- how are you able to balance yourself when you see that? Um, you know, they're going down a path that might not end up with the result that they're going for. How are you able to kind of say, I'm going to let them learn. Uh, they might be making a mistake. How is that dynamic, uh, being able to sit back and watch? Um, it's, it's honestly, it's heartbreaking a lot of the times. Um, I've seen founders go down a path that, I mean, we all knew was going to end in um, the company not existing anymore. And we beg and we plead, but they continue to go down the path and they end up right where we thought. And, um, you know, I've learned, I've learned a lot about having to let go of things, um, over the last few years, uh, not being in control. So, uh, it's, 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 it's very tough, but you know, it, it gets easier every time you, every time you do let go. So it's a blessing and a curse because, you know, you lose a little bit of your passion because you, you have to mix in some apathy because if you care too much, um, you know, it's just, it's too devastating. Sure. And how have you helped founders deal with failure? I feel like failure is something that people like to talk about, but few actually practice it and are able to counsel a founder through that. Um, I think founders can feel um, the empathy that I have for them. Uh, because I've been there and I've done that. Um, and so if nothing else, it's just they appreciate that I will listen um, and that I actually feel and understand what they're going through. And sounds, you know, weird, but um, sometimes that's all it takes is just somebody who's been through it. It's kind of like, you know, um, if you had some tragedy in your life and you go to like a a group that had similar things, um, you know, there's something to uh, an empathetic ear that's just helpful. Sure. I find it interesting um, when I first came to Lamppost Group, as I, I found out, um, I know you're on the board of Ambition, and mm-hmm. I found out that they were they were a different company when they first came here, right? Yep, correct. And then they, you know, now they're Ambition. How did that process look? How as a as an investor, how do you approach, oh, you're not going to do this anymore, but we still, we still have faith in you. We want you to do this next idea. I mean, I don't know, just kind of speak so to that. So what bit. happened with, with uh, Ambition is um, three, three business guys showed up at our office in 2010, and, uh, 2010, and um, they had this idea for this uh, news aggregator, a little scroll thing on your desktop that would aggregate news, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And I didn't really even understand it. But uh, I asked them, um, so who is your, who's your tech guy? And they said, oh, we outsourced our tech to India. And I was just like, get the fuck out. Like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. How can you be a tech company and not have a tech guy? Um, and they came back two weeks later, and they had this little nerdy kid with them. And I'm like, all right, so what's, what's different? And they go, well, this is Adam. We just uh, talked to him out of dropping out of UT, and he's our CTO now. 
And I'm like, huh, that speaks to me. Like, you're, you're showing me action. You're not telling me something. And you listen to what I said. And, um, you know, actions speak louder than words. So we invested in that company, even though I didn't really understand the idea. Um, it's not our <laughs> core competency. Um, but uh, the actions of those founders, um, you know, made me believe in them. Uh, the idea ultimately didn't work for various reasons, um, but we had built up such a good relationship with the team that we were willing to try something new. And then ambition came after that a few years later, after Reticker had failed, and now ambition's thriving. And you know, we we had faith in the team, and you know, we lost probably close to a million dollars uh, on a company that doesn't exist, but. You know, we, I think it's worth it. I think that's, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people say they're people centric or they care about teams, but they don't actually practice what they preach. It just sounds good on a blurb on a website. Sure, sure. Um, but I just think that action really demonstrates that y'all actually live by that. So um, that's very, that's very cool. Um, so you are on the board of uh, Ambition, Bell Hops, Fancy Rhino, Torch. Um, so all these different startups over here, what are the common shortcomings you see? Maybe is there any kind of pattern in startups, um, maybe when they're first starting, when you're like, stop doing that, y'all? Mm. Uh, the, the, the only common thing is they don't listen to me. <laughs> um, but I think that's most people. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think, um, you know, each one's just a little bit different. I don't know. Part of me, when people ask, like, what's our formula and stuff like that, I almost don't like thinking about it. Um, in my mind, I am a venture capitalist as, as an entrepreneur, if that makes sense. Like, we're going through this for the first time. I don't like playbooks. I don't like formulas. Once I have the code, then it gets boring to me. Um, so I don't read business books, and I don't read interviews from other VCs, and I, I don't give a shit what anybody else is doing uh, because I want to go through this for the first time, and I want to feel it, and I want to learn it on my own, and, you know, once once I get the formula, I'll probably quit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it seems like you approach it with a very go-with-the-flow. I mean, you were speaking earlier about living in the moment. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's an advantage to that because you can take... I, I don't know. I, I think it would be easy to overlook something new in a new company or miss something if you just see them all as the same thing? Oh, you're just sure. a startup. You're just this. There's plenty of really smart people out there that know the formula and can right. tell you exactly what's going to happen here and there. Um, I just, because of my ignorance or nativity, I just, I see things differently. Do you, uh, do you think Ted and Barry are the same way? Are other MDs? Uh, we all three are... I don't know how we're still friends. Like, we <laughs> completely see three different worlds. It's about to get real. <laughs> um, I mean, Ted is, I mean, no one lives in the moment more than Ted. Like, he has literally no memory of the past. He can't see the future. <laughs> he is in the moment. And, he, and he's just, it's amazing. Like, yeah. I, I envy that. Um, Barry is, like, just super practical and has as good a business gut as anybody I've ever been around. Like, he's just, he's a mini Warren Buffett. He really is. Um, and I'm, like, I'm such a wild card. Like, I, sometimes I think I'm so bad at business, but injected into that group, like, it makes some kind of chaotic, positive outcome. Yeah. But, like, 
I almost think my business gut is terrible, but in the group it works. Right. If that makes sense. Talk about the importance when founders come together and you meet founding teams for the first time. How how do you kind of perceive them? Because it sounds like what you just said, and we had Barry on a couple weeks ago. Each of you play to your strengths, and the other, one of the other two, kind of augment the weaknesses to balance you guys out. I think um, definitely when I see teams that remind me of us, um, it definitely resonates with me. Um, I I'm not big on you know a dictator CEO. Um, I know that is what a lot of people believe works. Um, and I think that, you know, look like a Jeff Bezos or somebody like that. Like, I believe that that's the image that the world sees, but there is a team there. It may be no one knows the team. It may be that Bezos' personality is so big that um, it overshadows the fact that there's a team. But I just, it doesn't make any sense to me that um, it can be that heavy at the top. I've seen too many CEOs that appear to be like the shit, but there's really a group of people behind the scenes that are making the thing work. Sure. Yeah. Um, one more question uh, I have. Uh, we are a logistics accelerator, um, and you helped run a logistics company. What would you say, or what's your insight into where logistics is heading, particularly for those more old, old school players? Um, now that tech is kind of infused in the industry, how do they need to do they need to survive, keep up? Where do you see it heading? Well, um, six years ago, I went out to Singularity University um, at NASA Ames in uh, Mountain View, and I came back with my brain completely changed. And uh, th- what they do is they bring people from different industries for a week long program where they introduce you to um, the latest and greatest technologies that um, is happening in research labs. And the point of it is for these industry leaders to understand the technology that's coming like five and 10 and 15 years down the road so they can start to go back and prepare their industries for what's going on. And I came back in 2010 and said, um, driverless cars are coming soon. And everybody thought I was crazy. And uh, no, no, no. And this week I rode in Barry's Tesla and we got on the interstate and it fucking drove itself (laughs) and it was scary as shit. Yeah. I don't, I couldn't do it. It's so scary. It's so scary. I saw it very, like he put a post on Facebook and he's just sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah. Chill. Just chill. No man. Yeah. It just changes lanes. Like the only, the only, I mean, it makes you every once in a while put your hands on the steering wheel, but just for liability purposes. Like, (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't just take a nap. I mean, technologically, you could, yeah. but like Tesla's, you know, trying to, I don't know, just be compliant. Yeah. But like, it's it's legit. It's here. Yeah, that's insane. The only reason why it's not happening faster is because Congress and yeah, people are just too scared. But I'm scared. But, I mean, but it's, it's cool. scary. But I'm scared. But yeah, but it, like it'll save 50,000 lives a year. Absolutely. I mean, it's so crazy to think about, it, but... Um, you know, I think it'll start with um, a cargo lane and you'll see basically trains uh, on the freeway. It'll just be trailers that'll be synced up mm-hmm. and they'll probably go 45 miles an hour just to uh, save on fuel. 
But um, I think that's where it starts. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll go from there. That's insane. It's insane. <laughs> All right, cool. Santosh, you got any more? Do you think um, the incumbents are, are willing to accept this technology, try it out, or is it going to be basically, you know, a founder that is going to spend the summer here that might capitalize on the unwillingness to adopt technology and run these lanes? I think if you look back for thousands of years, there's one consistent thing. If you are not willing to bend, you will break. And um, whether it's, you know, the printing press against the church mm-hmm. or it is driverless cars versus the trucking industry, yep. um, if you do not adapt, you will die. So that's yeah. just the laws of nature. Yeah. You heard it here first. You need to bend or else you will break. Yeah. I think I don't think he made that saying up, but... I did. I did. <laughs> Quote me on that. Okay. Alan we'll take credit for it because nobody says it nearly often enough. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for your thoughtful responses and talking with us on our podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Alan. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dynamo Discussions. We will be back next week for more. If you want to learn more about our accelerator program or our fund, go to hellodynamo.com. And just like I mentioned earlier, remember we have a big announcement coming up, so you're going to want to follow us on social media at This Is Dynamo. Okay, have a great week.